This is not a recruitment podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Powered by People podcast. We are lucky enough to be joined by the one before Matthias Schmeisser, um, who is joining us from Emnify. He's recently joined Emnify. Uh, obviously, Rex and I um, are, are here today. Um, Matthias, why don't you shortly introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, first of all, thank you for being here. Um, yeah, my name is Matthias. I'm working in the talent space for some time, would say over 10 years now, um, and in the last four to five years have been a talent acquisition leader, um, have seen different sides of organizations, like really, really small ones, seed ones, public companies, um, yeah, with um, uh, 15,000 plus people, um, but also a little bit smaller ones, like one or 2,000 people, and now moving a little bit back again to the startup environment nice. where I started my career, because I think all the learnings and knowledge that you gained over the, your career you can literally now um, put this to value for those small organizations to build successful companies, tech companies in Germany. Yeah, yeah amazing. We're going to be um, talking a lot about potentially how we foresee the TA team in tech companies evolving um, over the, the coming years. There's a lot of talk around how AI can can influence um, the, the sort of processes that we're, we're currently operating in um, uh, and... Uh, and ultimately how the, the tech team, uh, whether that's going to have more, the Powered by People podcast is all about how people power businesses. And yeah. um, and obviously we want to explore how people can, can maintain control over, over the, tech, the, the TA team as opposed to having these, these long automated AI processes, I suppose. Yeah. That's what we believe anyway. I mean, we've all got war stories of uh, working in talent acquisition functions which were pretty primitive, I guess, at yeah. the time. I think the first ever um, ATS I used was like, I think it was called Easy Access or something like oh, that. RDB, yeah. yeah it, th and that was like ancient uh, <laughs> at the time. Lots of shortcuts yeah. on the keyboard. Yeah, completely. What, what, was the, what was your sort of first talent acquisition experience <laughs> if you're thinking about how much it's evolved to now? Mm, I think the first one that I had with an agency when I really started my career as an intern I think they had a kind of um, self-built software database, right? Mm. Um, and then when I um, joined... Self-built, does that mean um, Google Sheets? No, no, it, it was really a software in that sense, but um, it was a huge database, nothing else. It had a search functionality, and then you you know, you know build talent pools, literally. Um, so the use case was there. We were working in the interim management business. That's literally something like for people that don't know that term. It's um, we work with very experienced people that get self-employed after a certain period of time and then help to, um, you know, do projects with companies in their change momentum, change processes, right, to drive this and to um, to follow this um, through. And um, yeah, those people are moving around, right, because they have projects three months, six months, nine months, and you need yeah. to update the database. There's nothing like a LinkedIn feature. Yeah, this updates yeah. immediately. You need to do this. Good old phone calling. Yeah. <laughs> are you? How are you doing? What are you still there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Controller, search, <laughs> and um, and so um, that was a pretty, a pretty interesting start in my career because I think I had the opportunity to talk to very knowledgeable people, right? People that have been in the industry, mm. in their career, sometime have been successful as well, and then again, just listening to them and trying to understand what's next for them, what they're actually looking for, and so mm. on. Uh, actually made me fall in love with recruitment, yeah. Oh, well. And then, yeah, I, I don't think it was that me and Harry actually met at our first um, first experience in recruitment. And uh, in terms of how talent acquisition has evolved, for me, um, at that time, this is sort of 2013 onward, mm -hmm. uh, it very much felt like at the start, talent acquisition was a task that you gave to someone in HR and it was maybe 10, 15% of their role. Yeah. Um, and... The and the the idea of having a uh, like full time talent acquisition manager, it almost felt like that was no, we don't do that here. That's something that uh, big tech companies do in the U.S. Yeah, 
Uh, yeah, 100%. You only had a HR person and they would use agencies or they would do a bit of recruitment or it was actually down to the hiring managers for, for, the, the, for the most of the part. Um, and now we see huge TA teams across oh, across the world and actually it becoming, and we've talked about this a few times already, but actually how TA, talent acquisition, is becoming a genuine career path. You know, like people are considering... The, the 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 reason I believe is because now we're seeing people. At, you mentioned just earlier, can uh, can somebody from TA work their way into a CHRO role? I actually not sure if they could go into a CHR role, uh, but they can go into a CTO role, which we're seeing now, a Chief Talent Officer, or a CPO role, which you know Chief, Chief People, people Officer. Um, and we're seeing lots more people from talent acquisition move into VP people. Uh, and, and further, because the, the 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 responsibilities of a talent acquisition leader far outweigh just recruitment. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah. From because to 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 ensure that you're achieving your company's acquisition goals, you're looking at retention, you're looking at onboarding, which impacts retention, you're looking at employee engagement, which impacts uh, retention um, and attrition, and all of these things. Because if you can retain more people, you don't have to acquire more people um and and that's part of part of talent acquisition as a whole yeah. what's your thoughts matthias yeah i mean um i agree um i think the problem is here we need a in in the last 10 or 15 years i think probably we still need a different um uh, people function yeah yeah i think um the rise of talent acquisition and had the same experience like you um, people said, you know, if you want to make a career in HR, you start with recruiting, you do this a year or two, and then you know, move in a proper role, like yeah. a real role. <laughs> so um, get a real job. Get a real job, yeah. So this is not something people do in full time. And then um, what uh, was very interesting to see, if you see how the world has changed and how um, um, organizations and startups have seen that, you know, we need the right people to actually be successful, then, um, yeah, TA got a bigger voice in, in this and a bigger say. Um, and I do think if we compare it to the normal HR person, yeah, um, I think uh, when you look at HRS systems, for example, right, we uh, store data there and literally they go through a life cycle, right? Mm. Yeah. They, they go through the process, they go then the onboarding journey, and then at one point they end up in, in the company. And then everything that technology does is like, oh, I want to take vacation. Or here is my salary increase, yeah, uh, and then that's pretty much it. Like, of course, there are more features, right? Mm. Performance topics, etc. But it's very linear, right? And I think um, the way we are going now into this next um, topic uh, evolution and by talent acquisition, people have a better or a bigger chance to actually become the head of such a people team. Is we are working very um, closely with the business together most of the time when we. Yeah are working with the business, we understand why is this person, what is the person doing? Yeah. Why, where does the person creates impact? So we are per default with the higher managers much more closer into the real weeds of what this business does, yeah. what does it drive to be successful, etc. And so being so close to the business is then of course something that maybe traditional HR people are missing, right? Because yeah. they are are concerned about their policies and you know it's more legal side of people yeah exactly and i think uh, this is one of the the lessons learned in my career is uh when we say if your legal team drives your communication strategy uh yeah it's safe but in the end it's not engaging right yeah. um yeah. and so uh, there's true. always a fine line between uh, like every lawyer's doing marketing yeah but it's like <laughs> it's a risk mitigation or it's a risk management right in the end of the day um, it was a very popular um, um, action to do uh, when I started my career in Berlin as don't give people feedback. Yeah, you, yeah. it's dangerous to give people feedback. They can sue us. Feel bad. They can <laughs> sue. And so this is true. Mm. Per default, they can. Um, and there is a risk. But in my whole career, and I've been doing this now for a couple of years, it's like I have never seen yeah. So, yeah. I mean, this whole topic of like, oh, yeah, it's up there and we need to be aware of and so on. I mean, if you are a decent human being and you have some structure in place, you can tell people. And, and the most common thing is probably, hey, we interviewed two or three people. They were a bit stronger because of this and that. Yeah. Sorry. Right. Um, yeah. And then give them a little bit more advice. I think when we create candidate experience, it's like also one of the topics that everybody talks about, but nobody masters. Yeah. Is 
if you create a learning momentum for people in the process, yeah, so that they can take something out of this process and learn something from the time they have invested in talking to you, this is still a momentum where, you know, can really drive a meaningful conversation and a great experience because they get something out of it, right? Yeah. It's a return on investment. How many times do you spend time in an interview and then say, oh, good Lord, I already know that the person doesn't know what they were asking. They don't know. Five seconds in, you knew they weren't right for the <laughs> role. And so, and this is a, a challenge. I think um, we most of the time talk about talent attraction and branding and so on. But the real problem right now, I feel is, we are doing a poor job in assessing candidates, so that's why we don't know what good looks like. Mm. And that's why we probably talk to the right people, but we're doing a not so good job in understanding what um, what is needed to actually be successful in this company. Yeah, could be very, very true. I think um, we it's company to company, varies. Um, I often find that, that this, this understanding of what good looks like can be improved by the relationship that you have with either your hiring manager or stakeholder. Um, if you have a, a really good relationship with hiring managers and you're able to collaborate more effectively with them, then you are able to have a deeper conversation. Some hiring managers I've found don't value recruitment. It's go and find me those people, thanks. Whereas if they value your, you and your role um, and they give you more time, and attention to to understand the role in a better way, yeah. you're better able to understand what good looks like, so that you can vet a lot more eff efficiently mm. um, in the I, process. I think I think that's changing quickly. Yeah, um, and that comes with the professionalization of talent acquisition and yeah. prop function. I mean, as a career choice. Yes. Yeah. Last year, um, I was fortunate to go to Recfest and TechRec. Now. TechRec was a two-day intensive um, conference, I guess you would call it, and uh, everybody left with full notepads. There were just so many insightful topics to get into with the experts around um, talent, you know, obviously experience, uh, D&I hiring, early-stage careers, um, best practice, data, um, branding. Like all of these, uh, like even tooling, um, all of these topics were um, something that would just not not have been on the radar like yeah. five five plus years ago. And Wreckfest was very much the same until about 4 p.m. And then I think everybody was having a beer away for the DJ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you been to Wreckfest yet? Yeah. And yeah. there was one in, in the UK. Yeah. Um, was an ex um, so I had this opportunity. My experience was... I had a really good 30 minutes talk um, from one of the thought leaders there. And that ruined it for me because everybody else after that was, was not, not good. <laughs> so in the morning, I just choose the wrong conversation, the wrong talk. And suddenly everything else was... Mm, <laughs> okay. yeah. but, that uh, was so good. Yeah, but, yeah. But, uh, but you know it happens, right? Because it uh, it depends. I think the the opportunity in such events is um, not just to listen to what people have to say, but also to network. What yeah, to, to network, to to get into the right conversations, asking the right questions, because you don't know sometimes what you don't know, right? And um, I think unconscious incompetence. Yeah, mm. and um, and also I think sometimes it's not a bias, but it's like this cognitive uh, dissonance. Like if you are very much into this topic of hey, this is I believe I'm right. This is where mm. I think you know I nailed it, and then mm. somebody else has a completely different uh, opinion. And these uh, th times, I think we should do this much more. And I, I have a see a pattern here that we don't have the tough conversations anymore. Also between us, between yeah. professionals in our um, in our area, to say, hey, are you really sure this is the right way? Yeah, and tell me why. Yeah, you can get go. you can get very tunnel visioned on your idea, can't you? Yeah. yeah, and and then letting other people in is a difficult process, a difficult thing for for, for people to learn to do. Yeah. Um, there's so much so, more. Yeah, so, sure. There's so much more engagement now among um, different people in talent acquisition that there is a lot more sh like knowledge sharing, um, and hopefully that's going to reduce these silos of information where people get trapped in habits. Yeah, yeah. But that's a, it's an interesting one because when we talk about a lot of these topics, they actually transcend into different areas of the business, and um, it's it's quite a well trodden statistic i think everyone's probably heard of it before where ceos say that 70 percent 
um, 70% of CEOs say that hiring people is the most important and hardest part of... The hardest part, yeah. Yeah. So Particularly now when VCs throw you 50 million quid quite easily and then the, the whole objective of that of that money is to grow. Could be, yeah. Just grow, 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 grow. And uh, there's not enough people out there to, to grow these these tech companies. Yeah, so so I guess if that, like Wreckfest and TechRec bring us up to speed, with that, I guess, better understanding of the value of TA, where does this sort of leave us in terms of the direction of, it, of TA evolving in the future? Mm. Like where's, where's our value going to be? Um, how are we going to see it evolve? I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on that, Matthias. Yeah, I think um, I think still that we are not that far that everybody of uh, of the business understands our value. Yeah, mm. why would I say this? If I be really harsh now, as if we see all the layoffs that are happening, were we not part of the problem here? First of all, and second of all, so many people in our profession don't have a job at the minute. Yeah, mm. and there are great people out there. So. The question is, why is this happening? Yeah, why are decision makers when a company is struggling or is not doing well? I mean, still most of the companies that did the layoffs still exist, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not like they're completely broken or mm -hmm. bankrupt, right? But then the question is, if they need to make a decision who to let go, why is talent, talent acquisition, always the first branding, DNI, yeah. Um, topics that are that are affected right so let's look at the latest news right facebook says we need to lay off 10,000 people again and one of the first sentences is half of the recruitment team is gone yeah mm -hmm. so the question is why is this yeah. yeah why are why we are seen as like okay we're not gonna go crazy on growing the company that's why we don't need recruitment yeah we can also take other examples and don't just make you know meta here um, part of this conversation but also spotify Mm. Oh, a lot of people in the talent team. Mm. Yeah. So the question is here a little bit like, why are these ha are these things happening? And my assumption is that the value is not understood, right? Yeah. Um, it's a very narrow understanding of talent acquisition as we bring people to companies and that's it, period. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So there's no topics around how can we evolve our talent and people practices, how we can coach and enable stakeholders, how do we actually, you know, create an employer brand this is not a six weeks task this is a two years approach or even three years depending a little bit where you're coming from how you can you know make leaders better leaders how do we think about this whole topic of org design yeah it completely disappeared from the expertise of people teams in the past when i started to you know um study this uh, human resource management org design org development was one part of the trajectory of people teams Nowadays, what uh, leaders do is like, oh, I need to hire 100 people. How does my future org structure look like? And they do it on their um, on their mirror board, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, without even asking anyone, right? And so I think this is the, the, the piece. And uh, the problem is when the decisions are made or need to be made, are we part of that, that round? Are we in that seat on the table? Yeah, are we driving the right decision for the organization by being there? I think that's really interesting because actually when you think about it, perhaps the best time to look at all those topics is when you're not uh, desperate to hire um, because yeah. your back is against the wall and uh, you need to be executing, not planning at that point. So when you're looking at topics like operational efficiency, that is actually your chance to maybe refocus what the TA team is focused on for, for the build back, if you like. I think Matthias is right. I think you know, the, the earlier on in the conversation of building a, a business's strategic plan, we can be involved in the better, right? So, you know, uh, uh, the, the C-suite are going to sit around and talk about, we want to achieve these commercial objectives and an absolute, you know, must have in, in all of those objectives, whatever they are, is people. And, and you know, to, to increase your revenues, the likelihood is you're going to have to increase your headcount and by how much is depending on how aggressive your your commercial goals are and if we're at that table we can we can be advising and maybe the 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 c suite take the advice or not but if they have outrageous um objectives commercially that that the ta function is simply not going to be able to deliver on then it's pointless having the commercial objectives in the in the first place right 
Um, and so by having these these conversations, if it's sustainable or not, if is it achievable or not, what can we be doing now to in order to, to sort of future proof these these commercial objectives from a TA perspective? The earlier on we can get involved in those conversations, the better. Yeah, I think um, it's also the way of how do you make decisions and how do you solve problems. I think if you still under this assumption that uh, throwing money uh, and, and people at problems is getting you far, yeah, and this is definitely something that didn't work, right? I think when we talk about it, I mm. think I really liked your your part here where you said we have aggressive commercial goals. Now the question should be asked: How do you achieve them to the leaders, right? Yeah, it's not just you know growing the organization, and then you should also ask them: Okay, let's just assume I bring you hundred people by tomorrow. How do you do onboarding? You have time for interviewing. Yeah. When is the return of investment there, right? How do we you get them? How do we make them productive? Yes, exactly. Yeah, this is like. Um, and, 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 and how long will that take? I, I, I see sometimes, um, and that's something that, you know, I think was also maybe a mistake um, in the last two years now is when people have tremendous, outrageous hiring goals. Just re-engineer how much time you need from the business in order to achieve this. And then go back to the C-level and say, listen, if you want to hire so many people, this is the amount of time I need from you. And this is the amount of time where you guys don't do anything else they're not creating impact. They're not creating revenue. They just are there to hire mm. and work with me on those uh, on those pipelines. That's it. Do you want to do this? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think this is something where we might be a little bit poor in terms of as a decision maker. So let's see. Assume we all CEOs. We don't want to be confronted with problems. We want to be confronted with solutions. Right. So that's yeah. the first thing. And the second thing, what I want is then I want to have different options. Yeah. yeah, I want you to tell me what are my what are, the what are my options? Yeah, what are my options? Mm. Is it plan A? Uh, plan A is so and so much cost. Is it plan B, less cost but more quality? Yeah, right? like mm. you know, slower. Or is it plan C, something completely different? I think so and so many times I don't see enough conversations that we are having now right away. Is what kind of technology do you buy to scale your, 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 to achieve your goals, your business goals? How do you do this? Is this just manual labor? Or is yeah. this actually something where you really smart about, right? Yeah. And I think um, so and so many times, these conversations also sh should come from the talent acquisition leader, the recruitment leader, even if it's a little bit beyond um, their scope. But to ask those questions is really meaningful, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then we go back to the, are we asking the right questions? Yeah, well, that's it. I was just going to say, I think that with a lot of the things that we've seen in recent times, um, as talent acquisition leaders, we are slightly guilty in the sense that we were um, really needed at that time. And uh, the idea of, it, it's kind of like a paradox. On the one hand, we want to push back. On the other hand, when somebody says that they want to hire 200 people, we, we, we feel like we are so needed. That at that time we we sort of jump on the chance without questioning it because yes. all of a sudden you're you're an extremely important person in the organization um and also it could be a bit about self-belief as ta leaders maybe you know these things but you're not communicating because you don't necessarily want you, you don't necessarily feel like you can have the impact so is that self-belief or is that the the business giving you the platform Bit of both, I think they're, yeah. they're on the, the rest of the business is unconscious of these topics that you're the knowledge expert in, yeah. and you're not educating you're not educating anyone else in the business around it. Yeah. You're just seeing the attractive side of I can make two hundred hires in the next six months. This is um, like a nice flagship project in my resume. Yeah, I'm going to do that, not necessarily thinking about the aftermath. I think we've talked, I've talked to a few people uh, within the, the sort of TA leadership world as well about actual competency modeling mm. um, and what businesses are doing in order to, to actually upskill recruiters, talent partners, talent business partners, um, because I think that's probably an area that, that we lack quite a lot. Um, you know, if we, we're, we're talking a lot about how we can have impact across a, a variety of topics within a uh, business to add more value than just recruitment but what are the development learning and development team doing to support a recruiter in upskilling them in these areas you know if we we uh 
maybe we're lucky enough in this room to have been involved in lots of employer branding topics and engagement topics and but but other recruiters won't have been and so how are they going to have impact or add value in these areas if we're not giving them the, the skills and the ch chances to get involved in it i think it starts already when you build your team right i think mm. um, a lot of people i hear in the industry saying how oh, i need generalists right yeah i need a lot of generalists and then i'm equipped for every every topic that might come up right and I would disagree to, to a very uh, certain extent. I think we need more specialists, not mm -hmm. generalists, because in the end of the day, every time I, I entered a company, it was always about we need to change something. Yeah. And then the first thing that you should have as a discussion, talking about asking the right questions, is asking the C-level to say, what is, does change management mean for you, right? Yeah. What is it? How do you execute it? What does it mean? What is the history, history of, the, of the company with change, et cetera, et cetera? And so on, so many times when we are confronted with, hey, recruiting is not working for reason, it's most of the time, no, it's actually a cultural problem. Yeah. It's actually a leadership problem, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a certain reason why recruiting is working well, because um, people are, are having other side stories that are not tackled. And um, I think um, this is something where we have seen and also maybe need to look at the external effects that we have in the market right now is that... When we talk about employer branding, a lot of people only talk externally, mm. which is we are creating an image that actually doesn't exist in the company. And we are happy with it. Too often. Yeah. Uh, we, we put diverse people on a job ad because we know if we put diverse people on the job ad, the chances are higher that diverse people apply. But those diverse people come in a non-inclusive environment where they are set up for failure. 100%. So we are doing poor employer branding because we are not starting focusing on internal developing the internal employer brand first to get buy-in from the business, from the people that are there in order to then um, sell or create. Sell that. It, and also it then becomes, it then becomes so much more buyable or sellable because it's authentic. You yeah. know, like if you, you're, if you, you don't have to sell it, if you you don't have to sell it because the brand just automatically people start understanding that that is the brand. You don't have to put a picture up of, of certain people to say, this is what we look like internally. Uh, and often if you do that, it doesn't necessarily come across as authentic e either. Yeah, and I think this is something where I'm again, when we talk about evolution of our concepts, is um, we we shouldn't always uh, talk about it like we nailed it all, right? I yeah. think we do not. Um, there are so many things that are not working well and everybody is still fine with it, right? Because yeah. I have a great LinkedIn campaign. I have a great career page yeah. that doesn't reflect my company at all, but it looks great, right? It's shiny, fancy, <laughs> and um, and literally, uh, when you do some, I mean, you need to do it one day if you have time. Check out career pages. It's awful how they look like. Yeah, yeah. we still have the same job ad concept in eighty percent of all the career pages that also win awards, right? It's a text. It's nothing yeah. else. There is no design behind it. There is no opportunity to make this more appealing. We have, again, 500 bullet points and everybody believes, you know, that's the way forward. Mm. And we all know that we discriminate diverse talents because, you know, for example, women, if they don't fulfill 80% or 90% of those bullet points, they don't apply. Where yeah. men is like, I don't care. Yeah. I, I know the job title, that's good enough, right? <laughs> I, so, think, I think I've got an agile mindset. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, then, and, 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 um, and so this is really something where, you know, these are best practices that are unused, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, that are not really executed well. And I think um, for me, uh, this is something where we maybe even need to hold our um, uh, professionals or people that we know of accountable mm. for actually, hey, Matthias, if you go now after this session to my career page and say, great conversation in the podcast, but actually what are you doing? Yeah. It's a mess, right? So hold them accountable for what they actually say and say maybe there is um, yeah. a situation where what they say and what they do yeah, I mean, so, I'm worried about whatever email I'm going to get from Matthias after this podcast. <laughs> uh, but it's interesting because we talked about how far uh, we've come, but it's, as soon as you start to pull at the strings and dive down the rabbit holes, you can see how much evolution is still to come. It's actually really exciting, you know, so I think that's quite interesting. Um, I think one thing I was going to mention there actually is um, we've got to be careful not to vilify as well as a, as a general society. If some, if a business came out to say, we are not diverse, you know, and actually, uh, we this is a, something that we we want to work on. We we want to create more inclusion internally. 
in order and, and then we want to create you know more processes to enable a, a more diverse workforce uh, but we understand we're not there yet some companies are scared to say that you know because then it's like well you're you should be diverse yeah i know we'd get that and we're going to try and work on that but at the moment we're not and it's okay it's okay to talk about things that you're not mm. um, i think yeah no 100 i agree i think let's be honest um look at berlin right it's a great example if you um, look at Berlin and you have spent some time in the city. It's a wonderful city. It has diverse uh, people here. We have lots of different communities. You don't need to speak German or English in the city to survive. You can speak Spanish, Italian, Turkish, whatever. Yeah, Berlin is the sig uh, second biggest Turkish city in the world. Yeah, really? Yeah, it is. That's insane. And so, yeah. so there are there is a huge bunch of diversity on the streets, on the clubs, on the cafes, wherever you go. But when you then look at the companies, yeah. And look at the C-level, senior leadership. Yeah. I mean, look at the podcast right now. Three we, white male. We have, that we, are, like, yeah. we have a female producer, Rosie. <laughs> yeah. But, but again, right? Point. So um, I think this is where I'm like, no, we, we are not diverse. We yeah. Are, we are not diverse in a diverse city, which is so weird, right? Mm. And it's because of, um, I think in the end of the day with this whole diversity topic is like, I think a lot of people still don't get the use case right, the business case, right? Mm -hmm. What a lot of people know is, oh, the more diverse people I have, the more work it is. need to communicate much, much more than if I have the same people with the same mindset sitting there, going out of a meeting and say, yeah, see you tomorrow, Matthias, you know what, what I want, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, and, so, um, and so it is, this is, of course, complex, right? But then again, and this gives us or drives us back to this whole topic around Yes, are diverse teams more successful or are diverse community uh, companies more successful than others? Um, yeah, um, I think this is not not bought yet. Yeah. Not bought into um, a, a lot of different use cases where people might say, you know what, makes complete sense. Yeah, I think, and, yeah, I was just going to say, I think it is, uh, maybe that is it. You need to talk to more people about the business case. I read a really interesting book about a um, Malaysian banker and uh, Malaysia is an interesting country because, uh, broadly speaking, it does have uh, like three main ethnic groups. You have Chinese ethnic Malaysians, you have uh, Malay ethnic Malaysians, you have Indian ethnic Malaysians. And as far back as the 80s, he uh, worked in, he basically started working in a very, um, I think it was quite a Malay environment. And uh, he made it more of a Malaysian environment. So very early on, he um, always had much more of a, an even spread of people coming from different backgrounds. And um, that bank grew into a huge Southeast Asian regional player, faster than any other bank, because um, it just meant there were more perspectives, more viewpoints, more... That's it. Diversity of thought. Diversity is, of you, thought. Is what you really want, you know. Um, people exactly. often think that they've ticked a box with... Uh, you know different physicalities of diversity but mm. but it's diversity of thought you know there's there's lots of different brackets there's age you know mm. we don't we often don't think about age as, as a diversity uh bracket but somebody with who's older has a whole different thought pattern to to a lot of like you know founders and co-founders in their mid-20s and you know hiring people with from a, an age diversity bracket is going to give you a whole nother perspective, which is, which, and I think maybe this is why we struggle with diversity is because do we want to be challenged? You know, we have to really ask ourselves that mm. question. Do we actually, I know we say we want diversity, but do we actually want to be challenged? Because that's what diversity is there to bring, mm. is to bring somebody who's going to say, you're wrong. We should look at it in this way. Mm. Um, and, and that's that's difficult for some. I think. Yeah, and I also would argue another thing that is uh, very, uh, is not helping us as professionals as well is, um, I, I see this more and more happen that, you know, it's a fun topic to jump on, right? Um, DNI is important. It's on everybody's mind. Everybody has different opinions about it. But um, if it becomes a personal agenda for yourself to say, oh, I want to do this because I believe in it, but I cannot actually explain to the business why it's meaningful or important or important. Or, yeah then you're set up for failure. 100%. And, and, and we need to make sure that we have the people that do the right things for the right reasons and they are explicit about it 
mm-hmm. and not just say, oh, I do this because I believe in it and that's it. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think, um, and, and this is something where I sometimes say, before I do a big DNI campaign, I rather get my hands dirty and hire a diverse leader or a diverse talent yeah. and let my action speaks for themselves, build that use case, see what they have changed. And then go to the board and say, listen, do you think we should actually continue doing this? Yeah. yeah, because that's more meaningful and more impactful than just saying, oh, well, it looks nice from the outside. Yeah. You know, I think this is something where I still see um, this, um, we are lacking in this. And then also I think what is very frustrating, at least from what I what I recognize as well is, um, a lot of diverse talents also lost their jobs, right? Yeah. So this whole topic when, you know, we had Black Lives Matters movement and everything else, it was a huge hype topic. Now I'm, I it came across somebody saying, you know, I wanted to speak on a conference about this topic, and the conference said, no, it's not not important anymore. So literally, so like ridiculous. people's minds is is off this topic now. It's yeah. Like, yeah. Why? Why? Should you have to have a global campaign to make yeah. it to make all, people all, listen. All of these for me, the business case a lot of the time, obviously it's case specific, yeah. is about um, leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, having voices around them that challenge their uh, thought process yeah. and uh, and that's because there's um there's strength in uh, basically more brains are better than fewer yeah. in terms of finding consensus but it's not natural human behavior to surround yourself with people who are going to disagree with you yeah and it's the learning process you know i think sometimes what i learned for myself in my career i always ask myself when i change a new job what do i know like do I actually know that much? And and then a lot of people would be like, yeah, materials, all the plays, podcasts, whatever. You probably most knowledgeable person in the in the world. But like in the end of the day, you need to be humble to say, I'm gonna learn from everyone else every day, right? You never stop learning. And I think this learning attitude, yeah, you need to have to actually stay up um, up to speed. I mean, uh, we are now getting older. Um, now this thing called TikTok comes around and you'd be like, <laughs> yeah. what kind of channel is this? Yeah. Or is even YouTube my, my, my go-to social media channel? I mean, we probably all know in this room the time when smartphones were not there, where we set up meetings with our friends and said, you be there at four and you need to show <laughs> up, right? Um, otherwise you're not there. And I mean, like this, this whole thing has changed now where we're like, Am I getting what they are actually trying to do here? Like, what yeah. is this all about, right? Yeah. And I think this is something where I'm just saying, this learning mindset is something that for leaders is really, really important because uh, the more diverse your team gets as well, not just from thoughts, but also from skills, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. you will create your own learning environment yeah. with that, right? And this is this is really important. And so many times what I've heard from other talent acquisition, like professionals or leaders or recruiters, they say, you know, Matthias, I sometimes are not even allowed to speak up, to ask questions, get your... St- Get your stuff done, produce those numbers. I don't care. Yeah. So, what kind of um, going back now to the topic? What kind of culture as talent acquisition leaders do we need to actually foster and ensure to have an impactful um, um, recruitment team also in this organization? If we struggle to not create an environment for innovation and and and, and speak up culture and inclusion in our teams, then we are not making. Yeah. Well. That's interesting because one of the things I was thinking about when we were talking about this topic before the podcast was uh, like the scenario of have you what would how would it look if um, or can you imagine when a founder gets pre-seed and they're looking around to find co-founders and hire the first people around them and their first hire is a talent acquisition expert. The reason why um, I thought of that just now is because you talked about. Um, maybe like setting the right tone from the beginning in terms of an organization's culture and identity and structure. And as we all know, it's harder to make those changes the bigger a company gets. So it's that whole thing of um, a bigger ship is harder to steer. And if, if you've got like an expert from the beginning who's thinking about DE&I from day one, you're going to find it easier than necessarily attracting somebody who doesn't look like the company further down the line. Yeah, and not just this. I think um, the bigger impact would probably be that um, we all know in the beginning of a company, um, I know somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody, and then we have this like-minded network that we refer people from and believe, yeah, he works fantastic. Yeah, I know him as well. He's also fantastic. Mm. And then you have a bunch of friends working together, which is 
don't get me wrong, if you have five or 10 or 15 or 20 people, it could be the great time of your life, right? Because everybody is, you know, like-minded, knows each other, great. Um, but this is also then the dangerous part, right? Because um, I have seen the moment when you have a structured interview, you can compare candidates, you can choose a little bit, and you just don't trust like, your next network and so on. Um, you will already make a difference, right? And um, and then I think this is something uh, what I, I think with diverse talents is the biggest problem is do they actually have a chance to perform? Are we actually giving them a chance? You yep. know, when we talk about talk time, how much does a woman speak uh, compared to a man in an interview, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how do they speak about success differently, right? So I'm not, so I don't want to make this as a gender topic here, but I, I think in general is there are so many little pieces that need to be tied together yeah. in order to actually set them up for success. Yeah, but I think if you had it, if, for example, a lot of the time when you have a co-founder, the first hires they want to make are like a principal engineer and yeah. maybe like a COO. Um, and if you had a talent acquisition leader from day dot, uh, one, you'd probably be more on top of topics like that. You'd also find better people. Those founding members would probably be better. You won't pay an eight, you won't pay a massive agency fee for those people. Yeah. You'll find a better leadership team afterwards. Then you also... Um, have somebody who can uh, shoot himself out of a job here, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> but you you also have the option then to uh, sort of grow the right way and comfortably. So mm -hmm. you maybe can have more of an educated conversation when that next round of venture capital money comes and can push back or when they're saying, we need to make this many hires by this time. It's like, well, we can do that, but these are the consequences. Yeah, you could even you could even be in a better position to achieve a round of funding because you've got a better people strategy. You you know you've set up that that initial founding team simply. You've got a nice employer brand or an EVP, uh, different stages of an EVP even um, set up. You've got a hiring strategy and you've got pipeline. You've pipelined the next ten hires and. You know, if you've got that, you've got your LinkedIn. You know, how many how many companies do we know that don't even have a LinkedIn set up? Um, and you've got all of these things positioned so that when a when a, a VC is looking at your business, they can see that you're a you're in a position to scale already. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I, and I th also think you don't put yourself out of a job here because you're part of the solution, right? Um, so I would assume that if you have a capable leader that understands what are my options, then you're one option. Yeah, if we need to move past, how much, t how many times is it that I think a lot of times it is like this that um, people C level come up and say, "I need fifty people tomorrow," and suddenly the talent team was like, "Yeah, but then we need two or three more recruiters." And you're going to do this. What would that mean? So in those again, these conversations to say, what happens if I get two or three more million? Yeah, and we would invest this in our hiring strategy. What would that do to us? Yeah, and we even do this. What can we, um, you know, talk to investors about it? When can we promise? What can we achieve with this money? Yeah. yeah. So, so this is really important because then um, I think nowadays when we look at this market right now, I still would assume even layoffs will happen and will continue to happen. And we see companies go out of business for sure. It's still going to happen. But I would also say with the challenges right now, we don't have fully staffed talent acquisition teams. Yeah. And one day or another, things topics will happen to pick up again right and then you guys are needed because they cannot wait until they hire their whole complete teams again yeah yeah so the question is um this is also a big dangerous topic with all the technology that we buy these days if nobody's managing those technologies right and doesn't understand them well then what do we do yeah probably then next round they would look at user adoption and say nobody's using this tool why do we pay for it it's out Yep, mm -hmm. and it was, it, was, it, was, it was TA teams that we used. Yeah. So, so the question is, in this in this environment that we are in right now, it's very fragile, right? Yeah. And um, and it's something where, um, again, you know, what is the value? What is the value to understand, um, especially in the past when you come into a new organization and there's a change momentum, something was not working, right? Most of the time, when I get my job, somebody messed up beforehand, or the whole the team, female team, messed up beforehand. And then you have burning grounds, right? Mm. So people are like, don't come with DNI again. Mm. People are like, hiring process? I have my own process. Yeah. Why do you come here and streamline? Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, can you show me the data? No. Oh, interesting. Does she believe it works? No. 
Yeah. Um, so, so there are topics like that where I'm like, um, you know, um, this is this change momentum where I'd be like, okay, we need to really make sure that we ask the right questions and position ourselves there um, in order to uh, set people up for success and be that flexible, right? Because this is what happens in the C-level table. They say, if I get from my investors two or three million more, what does that mean? Think about the ventures. They still need to invest. They still need to hit their quotas. Yeah, it's the money is there. It's not like it's not there. Yeah, yeah. they're keeping it so long because they want to invest in real sustainable companies, and everybody else that is struggling on the way is great because they're not going to invest in them. Yeah, mm. Matthias, we have a uh, closing tradition on this podcast um, where we ask the previous guest to write a question for the next guest. So this question was written by Ehab um, from uh, Delivery Hero. Um, and he asks, so you've been at, uh, at Emnify now for just over nine months, right? Um, and he asks, if you were to rejoin Emnify, um, what would you do differently compared to what you've done in the last nine months? Yeah, good question. Thank you for that question. Basically, he said, what have you done wrong? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean... What have you fucked up in the last nine months? <laughs> well, not so much, because otherwise I would not... No, um, didn't pass probation. Yeah, I did pass probation. Yeah, congrats. Um, so no, I think uh, what is always challenging, and um, I think this is something uh, what I what happened to me when I came in the first day, um, completely jumped into the first meeting. Right? Hey, we we are the CTO organization. We want to hire those roles. Please help. Um, <laughs> so that means what I'm trying to say: there was a sense of urgency where we needed to act fast. Yeah. Um, we we achieved it. Everybody's happy now. We really made that contribution, and this is where it's the first trust standing that you build. Yeah. But I think what was not done very well, and what I definitely would change, is taking people along that journey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, in change management, when you um, do things differently and you need to, um, you know, act fast. Yeah. Um, you don't have time to take uh, so much people along that journey. Yeah, that's true. So that means what I mean by that is okay. I kind of have a sit down with the VP of engineering and discuss their technical hiring process. He was very much opinionated that he has the best process in the world. Um, we realized after 90 minutes, he doesn't have the best process in the world and we need completely to change that, right? Now, it's great that I and we both agree on this. But then, okay, there are hiring managers, his direct, their interviewers. Yep. Mm. So actually you need to, wouldn't say we are a big company, a company, but like we need to do a little roadshow. Yeah, you know. Create that buy-in. People feel comfortable with it. Yeah. Then say, hey, how, how experienced do you feel um, with hiring and interviewing? What is something that you need? Then do a coaching, do a training, enable people. We all didn't Because you would just uh, uh, act. Because we, we just said, um, we believe the problem, and this was the um, uh, problem statement, the assumption, we believe the problem is that we cannot attract the right people. And that was wrong. Mm. Um, we got the right people. We were just not very capable of assessing them in a way. Yeah. And again, which leads to uh, are people enabled to coach? Yeah, it's right. So mm. I think um, there's an assumption often with business that hiring managers know how to interview because they're hiring managers. Yeah. I was, you know, I've met so many hiring managers that that ask, you know, humbly, how do I, how, am I doing this right? Yeah. yeah. Is, this, is this a good F way to interview? F games of like famous for having awesome hiring managers really? at recruitment, which just makes recruitment for them so much easier. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I can and can show you um, a C-level um, report, a leadership report. It's a global one, over 100 countries, whatever, right? 90,000, 100,000 people, um, where leadership rated themselves to actually be confident of assessing and hiring people with 25%. So this means that that doesn't surprise me either. No, it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. But uh, we assume, right? We so many yeah. times assume that people know what they need to do. One hundred percent. And um, and I think uh, what we have at the moment as well in our organization is how do we design the best tech challenges? Yeah, even if we have a fancy tool, and you will not imagine how much of a discussion this is, right? Yeah. Because um, some people might believe um, being a little bit longer in the organization, and of course knowing the organization very well. It's totally okay to ask somebody to put 10, 15, or 20 hours in a tech challenge. Yeah. Where you be like, um, wait, wait a minute. They have a job. They have a family. They have a life. When are they supposed to do this? 
yeah, but I would expect if somebody wants to work with me, uh, he needs to be an evangelist. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, wait a minute. Yeah. So I think um, I'm not making fun of those people. I'm really saying like, is this mindset of trying to understand what is realistic and what not? Yeah. How do we match the market and what is required on the market and the best practices that are out there and execute them? So that is something I would definitely change and spend more time to pe take people along the journey in order to create more learnings on the way. And get uh, uh, get one get buy-in, and two uh, create probably more sustainable processes longer term, because then that everyone you know now you've got through the urgency piece and now you can go back and start working on on upskilling and and improving mm -hmm. and, and gaining buy-in. But if you did it along the way, there would have been more uh, hockey stick learning, um, and and you've you know you would have had a better potentially longer term buy-in yeah um, perhaps perhaps you didn't have this you maybe didn't have the privilege of time when you began as well but if you looked if for example you'd had a long run-up and you know about hiring plans that were coming up you back to our topic we were speaking about earlier in in times where there's less hiring you can address these issues exactly and here's my point where we are in this momentum now where we where we have the opportunity to not have so much pressure on our hiring goals, yeah. but then can do this. So from a strategic standpoint, it's also a little bit like, okay, what does the company need now most and what kind of team do I have? Yeah, for sure. Because in the end of the day, let's, let's, <laughs> let's um, say the truth here, I'm not doing all of the work. No, of course. Team behind it. There are people that are skilled behind it that have that expertise or not, right? And uh, to be fair, I'm a half of my team was uh, freelancer driven into real. Really? Yes. Yeah. Mm. So um, I just now, when everybody laid off people, actually hired my my team. <laughs> As literally <laughs> did it completely the opposite uh, way. But uh, we believe that you know, even if we have less hiring to do, we still have the right professionals that help us. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, well, Matthias, thanks ever so much for joining us on on this podcast. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Uh, we're going to ask you to write down a question uh, for our next guest. Do you make it up or just do it blind? We'll do it blind. We'll do, we'll it, do blind. it blind, yeah. Between. Um, but thanks, everyone, for joining us and uh, have a great day. Cheers. Thank you. And that's a wrap.